today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. The interesting thing is many times in the history of man, in, in the religious traditions of those that have gone before them, they led people to believe that if they gave enough money to the church's coffers or to the temple's treasury, that somehow they could receive forgiveness of their own sins or maybe perhaps even pay for someone else's sins, perhaps a, a loved one or a family member that's already passed away. That's why some religious traditions literally can afford these great buildings. Because salvation, or the salvation of a loved one, depended upon it. Throughout the history of man, people have tried to earn salvation and forgiveness of sin. In fact, there have been some religious institutions that have duped people into trying to buy salvation for themselves or their loved ones. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that the only thing that can buy our salvation is the precious blood of the Lamb of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, Tetelestai, or paid in full, because his invaluable sacrifice was the only acceptable way we could be united with the Father. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, The Glory of Grace, from 1 Peter chapter 1. It's where God will examine the intent of every believer's heart. The intent in all of the actions that we've done here on the earth. He'll show us the very motives of ministry even. And that in all of our good works, he'll show why we've done those things. And he'll be the one to judge as to rather they were gold, silver, or precious stone or wood, hay, and stubble. Paul tells us again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because I, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work, what sort it is. Now, if anyone's work which has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as though by fire. I'm afraid that for some Christians, some of our best stuff, some of the things that we are proudest of, accomplishments in our life where we've invested great amounts of time, energy, and yeah, maybe even some of our resources, I'm afraid that for some of us, a lot of those things are simply going to go up in smoke because of the intent of our heart, because of the motives behind it. Were we doing it to impress someone, to show them, hey, look, I'll do this to show you that I'm a religious dude, okay? And I'm going to do this to show you that I'm a righteous fella. 
I'm going to do this to impress you. I'm going to do this because it was expected of me by the church that I go to. The church that I go to requires that I do thus, and so, therefore, I'm going to do it. All of those things, if they're not for the glory of God only, then it just burns. It just burns. All that we, that's why the word says over and over again, that concept, that idea of all that we do, both in word and deed, all that our hands find to do, it needs to be done for the glory of God. Not to impress one another, not to please even one another, even though we are to, you know, be a blessing to those around us. The greater purpose of our life is to give glory to God. The only things that are going to last are going to be those things that bring glory and honor to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But if it's full of your fingerprints all over it, and if it's designed and fashioned and formed by you or I, that's just kindling for the fire, folks. But I love what Paul said in that. Now, the works will all burn, be burned up, but yet you'll still be saved because he's talking to believers. You'll still be saved, but yet as by fire. So here back in, in Peter, Peter tells us in verse 17 that since there is this coming judgment in reference to our works, not a salvation-based judgment, but a rewards-based judgment, because it is coming it, with no partiality, we need to, as he says in verse 17, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear. Now, I'm not going to go into uh, the idea of the fear of God. We've covered that on previous occasions. Again, it's not the idea of you're, you're fearing God that he's going to whack you with the big stick, okay? That you, you, you step out of line one point or one way, and God's going to come down with, with the two-by-four across your head. Now, I admit, some of us need it two-by-four just to get our attention, but that's a whole nother manner. He's not saying that, that in the midst of this, that this fear of God is that, the, that, that we run away from him in the fear as we would a, a mama grizzly bear, okay? It is the fear that speaks of the awesome reverence of who God is. We don't take him as a small thing. We don't uh, have the idea or the concept of, of those in the past who have said, yeah, me and the man upstairs. No, he's not the man upstairs, okay? As a matter of fact, the Jews revered him and his name so greatly that they wouldn't even speak his name. Because they revered him so greatly. Oh, that we have that kind of reverence today. But unfortunately, in our society today, there's very little that we see reverence for. Peter goes on to speak of the fact that our salvation was secured by a very precious price, the blood of Jesus Christ. We, we couldn't buy our salvation. There, there was not enough resources within this world to be for you and I to buy our salvation. He tells us in verse 18, he says, knowing, understanding, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
Many of those to whom Peter is writing right now, they were possibly either slaves or ex-slaves within the Roman Empire. For the one that was in bondage to slavery during that time, the only way to be set free was to be redeemed. To you and I today, that's a theological term, but for them during that time in first century Rome, it carried a much different meaning. Warren Wiersbe writes in reference to this. He says that there were probably about 60 million slaves in the empire, in the Roman Empire during that time. Many slaves became Christians and fellowshiped in the local assemblies. A slave could purchase his own freedom if he could collect sufficient funds, or his master could sell him to someone who would pay the price and set him free. Redemption was a precious thing in that day. But even as Peter writes to us here, did you know where he places the status of gold and silver? Things that we put so much value on, Peter says that they are corruptible things. Let me ask you, is it because gold and silver are intrinsically corrupt? I've got a $20 bill here. Nice, fresh. Yeah, it's a real one. I've got a $20 bill here. Is there anything evil about that $20 bill? No. It's a piece of paper. Worth less than $20, I can guarantee you that, but uh, it itself is a piece of paper. It's what you and I do with it that makes it either corrupt or a blessing. The idea isn't that gold and silver are corruptible. It's what people do with them. The point Peter makes is that one of the things you cannot do with money is purchase your salvation. The interesting thing is many times in the history of man, in in the religious traditions of those that have gone before them, they led people to believe that if they gave enough money to the church's coffers or to the temple's treasury, that somehow they could receive forgiveness of their own sins or maybe perhaps even pay for someone else's sins, perhaps a, a loved one or a family member that's already passed away. That's why some religious traditions literally can afford these great buildings. Because salvation or the salvation of a loved one depended upon it. Around the time of the early 1500s, the Catholic Church had what they called indulgences. And they would sell these indulgences and thus, again, being able to fund the, 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 the work of the church that way. There was a fellow by the name of John Tetzel, and John Tetzel was in Germany. He would enter into the marketplace of each town, and Tetzel would then offer this sermon. Listen now. God and Peter call you. Consider the, sal- consider the salvation of your souls and those of your loved ones departed. You priest, you noble, you merchant, you virgin, you matron, you youth, you old man, enter now into the church, which is the church of St. Peter. Visit the most holy cross erected before you and ever imploring you. Have you considered that you are lashed in a furious tempest amid the temptations and dangers of the world? And that you do not know, rather you can reach the haven, not of your mortal body, 
but of your immortal soul. There was no security of any kind of salvation. He goes on, he says, Consider that those who are contrite and have confessed and made contribution will receive complete remission of all their sins. Listen to the voices of your dear, dead relatives and friends beseeching you and saying, pity us, pity us. We are in dire torment from which you can redeem us for a pittance. Do you not wish to? Open your ears. Hear the father saying to his son, the mother to her daughter, we bore you. We nourished you. We brought you up. We left you our fortunes. And you are so cruel and hard that now you are not willing for so little to set us free. Will you let us lie here in the flames? Will you delay the promised glory? Remember that you are able to release them. For as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Will you not then for a few coins receive these letters of indulgence through which you are able to lead a divine and mortal soul into the fatherland of paradise? Yikes. Yeah, no kidding. Ready to go. We're now going to take the offering. <laughs> but Peter makes it really clear, doesn't he? He says, we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This was the only payment that was acceptable by God for the sin of mankind. No other payment is sufficient for your sin. The pre-type in, in the temple in the Old Testament It was a horribly, grotesquely bloody system of sacrifices. Day in and day out throughout the years, hundreds of thousands of sacrifices were brought to the temple. Then yearly, once a year, the the Day of Atonement, there was even more upon that time. And even with that yearly and even with the daily sacrifices... It wasn't enough. The writer of Hebrews makes this really clear for us, that they were simply a pre-type of the sacrifice of Christ. Hebrews 10 tells us, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For when they would not have, for then they would have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. In Hebrews 9 he writes, It's not with the blood of goats and calves. But with his own blood, Jesus entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. That grossness of the the bloody sacrifice of Christ 
on the cross was precious in the sight of God, beloved, and it ought to be precious in our sight also. Not gold nor silver, nor the blood of bulls or goats, nor the works of righteousness on our behalf, but only the precious blood of Christ. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was examined and was found faultless, without blemish and without spot. Beloved, that ought to be our highest motive for holy living. Jesus shed his precious blood on our behalf. God the Father, in eternity past, he knew that there would need to be a sacrifice so holy and so pure as to be able to pay for the sin of all mankind. God, in eternity past, determined to send his Son to pay that absolute price. That's why Peter tells us in verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him, through him, through Jesus, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. God the Father, in eternity past, foreordained, he planned, he purposed, before even time began to send Christ on our behalf. And yet it was only in these last days that we're able to see, we're able to comprehend, we're able to record, and we now are able to declare the greatness of that plan. You and I now, this side of the cross, we've had the prophets that declared it beforehand. Then we had the cross, the events that took place there, where Christ gave his life for the sin of mankind. Now, you and I, as recipients of that grace, we're the ones that now, in these last days, as Peter writes, we're now able to fully comprehend what God had planned, purposed, had completed, and made available to not only us, but to all that would call upon the name of the Lord. And how can they call if they don't hear? And how can they hear unless someone preaches? And beloved, I'm not saying just from a pulpit like this. I'm saying that perhaps that pulpit is your workplace. Perhaps that pulpit is across the fence in your neighborhood. Perhaps that pulpit is on the phone speaking to a neighbor or relative or friend. They've got to hear in order to believe. These are the things that Peter writes earlier, the salvation that the prophets have inquired and searched carefully about, and yet they never were able to fully comprehend it. These are the things, uh, the, the plan that the angels in heaven, man, they, they wanted to look into this thing because they just didn't understand all of this deal about grace and of the mercy of God and how God would take a wicked people like you and I and yet send his son to die for us. Here in these last days, you and I get to be the recipients and the recorders of this amazing grace that's been given through the precious blood of Christ, given to all all folks who would through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
So I was studying this. The, the correlation of all of this just came so clear to me. Number one, that our salvation, our very salvation, though it is a blessing to us, do you realize that our salvation is for the praise and the honor and glory of God? That he would do that for us, for his glory. Therefore, we, as Peter tells us, we need to be genuine in our faith, even when and particularly when it's being tested by trials and fire during this time on earth. The other thing is, is that our lives, our very lives need to be lived uh, in such a way that it brings God glory. Where it says we need to be holy in all of our conduct. Why? Because it's written, be holy, for I am holy. We ought to glorify God in the choices of our lives. The daily decisions that you and I make, the the processes of our our minds, bringing, again, girding up the loins of our mind in order that our minds might bring glory to God. Also, our very faith, the very hope that we have need to be focused not on our own ability, not on our own works, but it needs to be focused on the reality of what God has done for us and who God is. He is the one who raised Jesus from the dead and he gave him glory. And as the word tells us in Hebrews, that we need to keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus Christ, the very author, the very finisher of our faith. Beloved, that in every aspect of our lives, we bring glory to God. We've been blessed in so many ways. If you call God your Father, you have been blessed in so many ways. And I know that some of you have gone through horrendous things over these last years or months or weeks. Some of you have been been pressed to almost being destroyed. Some of you have been in in a furnace of fire that, that was so hot, you thought that you would never get out, and I understand that. The fact is, is every aspect of our lives needs to be, if you call God as your Father, if you say that you are saved, if you truly have repented of your sins, you believed, you've repented, and you've received, if you truly are born again, then your lives, my life, our lives, need to be lived to the fullness of the glory of God. Westminster Catechism has a lot of questions to help young children learn about the things of God. The very first question, and I believe one of the most important questions, the very first question is this, what is the chief end of man, or what is the chief purpose of man? Or another way to put it is, why are you here sucking air? Okay. And the answer and the response to that is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, if, do you understand that? To glorify God, but also to enjoy him forever. But I thought you said I need to fear God. Yeah, there's the reverence of that fear. But it's the joy of being able to come into his presence, crying out, Abba, Father, and come right into his presence, knowing the greatness of his love for us. If you call God your Father, is your life lived to his glory?
Standing strong in the midst of persecution is a theme throughout the New Testament. Many of the newly created churches faced opposition from the world around them and were in danger of turning away from their faith due to these confrontations. It isn't a surprise that the book of 1 Peter also addresses this subject. Peter wanted to encourage new believers and remind them of the truth they had learned, that Jesus lived and died for the salvation of every person on earth. Sadly, persecution didn't die out through the ages. The enemy is still doing his best to derail the message of the gospel. Today, we want you to be encouraged as well. As a follower of Jesus, you will face persecution sooner or later. Stand firm in your faith, leaning on Jesus' truth for your source of strength and comfort. One way you can find support and encouragement in any season of your life is by getting involved in a local church. With that in mind, Pastor David has an invitation for you. Well, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith. It's given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, you're looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in today to The Open Word.